again, for those of you who are part of the church family, you know in the month of August we've been talking about the cycle of grace. Um, to summarize, we have been encouraged to understand the value of caring for our souls, soul keeping. It's a book that some of us have read. And in order to do that, we have to have the right concept of grace. I, I personally, if you know anything about me, I love the virtue of grace, but it is one of the most difficult concepts I have found to communicate to people. It's very challenging. Part of the reason for that is because it's, an other, it's from another kingdom. It's not from what we're used to. It's, it's the fuel of heaven, and we're asked as believers to step into that fuel and to trust that fuel of grace. Um, however, because I love it so much and it's so compelling, it's good for us to try and try and try to get a good handle on the way to communicate and to walk in that. Um, and to, I think more than anything, it's, it's easier caught than taught. It's one of those things. I've asked God often to help me with communicating, and I've used all kinds of, some of you will have heard me um, try to communicate what grace is, and it is, it is, it's just like I, I get tongue-tied and like, but it's, but it's, but it's, it's definitely not just praying a prayer before meals, okay? It's not just saying grace. It's allowing the virtue of the living God to flow in you. Well, there are a couple of guys that had um, come up with an idea of how to kind of help explain grace using something called the cycle of grace, which is what we're talking about. And Pastor Chris, in the first week of this month, introduced um, something that, was, that they had, th these guys had um, kind of created called the cycle of grace. And you can put up that next picture. So do you remember seeing that, those of you were, who were here? It's called the input-output cycle. Um, and they, they created this to help us understand it. And we begin uh, at the front end with input, obviously, before we go to output. Can you remember what the first input is? Where do we start in the cycle of grace? Acceptance. Nice and loud. Acceptance. <laughs> yeah, we stand in our acceptance already simply because we are God's children. We aren't trying to be chosen. We're not working towards adoption. Honestly, if you believe that God is your God and you believe in, in the name of Jesus, you stand in that acceptance. That's how that happens. And I'm going to ask if you believe that, if you believe that you're accepted by God because of Jesus Christ, can you stand up right now? Maybe you're deciding right now. Maybe it's the hundredth time you've decided I'm asking you to stand up too. Because acceptance is a lot about standing in it and choosing it, not letting it come, not letting it just come to you, but you stepping into it and saying, yes, I'm accepted. So I just wanted to take this quick a moment just to say and ask you to listen with your ears and listen with your heart. Listen to me. Listen, heart. God accepts you. Let that sink in for a minute. Let me say it again. God accepts you. Say it to your own soul. God accepts me. I am accepted. Your feelings and your thoughts and maybe other people will betray that truth, but I'm telling you, you've got to stand in this place or we don't got to cycle, okay? We're not going anywhere. Father, thank you for your acceptance. We choose to accept the reality of your acceptance. Thank you. You can have a seat. This is how we begin. This is how we begin in grace. When we don't begin here, what we do, when, when we are 
trying hard, we're going the opposite direction. Imagine all those arrows going in the opposite direction. We end up doing to get accepted. That's not how it is in the kingdom of grace. We start in acceptance. And that's why I wanted you to stay in a sort of, just as a symbolic meaning of, yes, that's where I'm at. Okay, let's move forward. So what's the second element or the second aspect of this input-output cycle? You remember? This would have been last Sunday. Sustenance. Nice. You, you guys aren't really super confident, are you? <laughs> like food to the body, our soul needs nourishment. And I don't know how it is for you, but eating is fun. Okay? So sustenance shouldn't be a chore. We call them spiritual disciplines like, oh, I got to go do this. But seriously, nourishment's okay. It's fun. You can make up recipes, right? You read a little, you pray a little, you sing a little, you worship a little, you talk to God, you talk to one another. There's sustenance for your soul. If you don't have sustenance, it's not going anywhere. <clears throat> if we, again, if we work in the opposite direction, we're going to get tired. We're going to get offended. We're going to get worn out. Because if I don't get accepted when I do all the spiritual disciplines or do all the right things, I'm going to be offended that God didn't bless me with acceptance or whatever it is we're looking for. You can't go backwards, okay? We have to go forwards in the cycle of grace. I can't even stress that enough. But I'm not here to talk about acceptance and sustenance. Just a review, just a summary. I'm going down the other side to output. So this is the other side of, it, of grace, the cycle of grace. And I imagine that in your mind, you're probably thinking, well, I know what that means. That means what we produce or our fruitfulness of our life. And you know what? You'd be right, except that's next Sunday, so we're not covering that today. <laughs> before we do anything, before we produce or, or are fruitful in anything, we have to embrace another truth, um, similar to acceptance, but on the other side, before we go to output, basically, before we do anything. We have to embrace the truth about who you are and recognize that really you were made on purpose for a purpose. You're significant. So that third aspect of the cycle is significance. God made you on purpose for a purpose. You're not an accident. It's not an accident that you live in this time frame, in this location, that you're your age, that you're, you're in your family, that you're at your job or whatever it is. It's not an accident that you're here. God in his divine and wonderful wisdom and goodness said, let you be. In the same way he said, let there be light, he said, let there be Abby. Let there be Nathan. He said that because light needed to pierce the darkness. And that's why you were born. And so we have to recognize that we're here on purpose. Definition of significance is the quality of being worthy of attention or importance. Being important. And you can see that, and that's just a, that's not a Christian definition. That's a regular old Webster's Dictionary de definition. And you can see how people strive. If they, if they don't believe in, in the grace of God, then we'll strive to get to look important, to be important even, to be significant. And that's, again, where we spin it in the opposite direction, and that's not okay. We start from a place of significance. 
a significant, excuse me, I've really wrestled with how to share this topic because I feel like we as Christians uh, have misunderstood the idea of personal significance for, for quite a number of years. Um, and it's been, it's been challenging, and I think you'll understand. I think we believe in significance. In fact, we're so all about it. We have an abundance of self-help. Be all you can be. Go get them. Show the world who you are. TED Talks, books, and conferences, don't we? We've taught an entire generation that there's nothing more important than discovering your passion and then doing whatever it takes to get there. And this we hear in the church, right? This is what we hear in uh, the community of the believer is find your passion, go get it. God's going to bless your big plans. You go, girl. I was reading uh, a camper's health form. I was just reviewing all the health forms, and that person isn't here, so no worries. Uh, and mom wrote in the health assessment, she has trouble believing in herself but we're helping her to gain self-esteem. Now, please understand, I understand what mom is saying, and that I do pray that this little girl find courage, but her freedom will not come from believing in herself. What is that, right? What is that? I've wrestled with this because it sounds well like it sounds puffed up and certainly seems to encourage a kind of a narcissistic self-focus um, that you have to do what's good for you and you have to believe in yourself or the people, uh, um, or the people won't accept you. That's what you've got to do. It doesn't matter. You just go for it. The problem is it becomes so self-focused that that can't be good for you, can it? And it certainly isn't going to be good for the people around you. Who wants to live with that? That's hard to live with. You just make room for me, then I can be all I'm supposed to be in God. Wait, what are we saying? On the other hand, I've also heard things like, go get your head out of the clouds. It's evil to think you're that important. Life's hard, snowflake. Get a job, work hard, and be quiet, right? Stop being, stop. You, you sound arrogant in your pursuit of greatness. Humble yourselves. That's what Jesus would do. Um, and maybe you think that about yourself. Maybe you kick yourself about this, and you're like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't dream big because... That's not humble, right? <laughs> it, it is a, it's a tough place when you're looking at it from a black and white kind of perspective. But let's bring the perspective of grace. Again, otherworldly, it's not from this kingdom, so I'm going to bring something else in. Here's the thing. If you are in God, then he is in you. And guess what? He's great. His spirit that's in you is great. It's called you to significance. It's called you to greatness. That's why you feel that compelling but it's for his glory and not for yours. You should want to be significant and make an impact in your generation, in your world. You should want to. It's in you. Don't, don't quench that. Don't blow that fire out. You should want to. I believe that you, each of you, were uniquely created for significance. So although you may end up in the same job, let's say, or the same ministry focus, one, one person is making an impact that no one else can make, okay? You are that significant. If you pull out and say, yeah, I'm not really that interested in that much work or that much whatever, I don't, I don't like that, I would rather do this, that is missing, okay? That will be a missing part of the world. I don't want to put all that, make it sound like I'm putting all that weight on you. It really is easier. It's not that difficult to fall into that, but it, 
in terms of workload. It is difficult in terms of surrender. How you discover your significant life, how it plays out, is all dependent upon the presence of God's grace in your life and your willingness to surrender or yield to that grace. Can you make, can you actually make your life appear significant? Of course you can. Many people do. If you have enough intelligence, money, resource, talent, degrees, and stuff, in our current culture, you can appear all kinds of significant, can't you? And I'm not minimizing the value of smart, resourceful people, but we're measuring significance by position and productivity. You are significant regardless of your role or what or your, or your beauty, or your wealth, what you do with your time, your, whether you're famous or not, you're significant. You are important. And I mean in a uniquely wonderful way, God made you to be here and now. Grace-based significance, which is what I like to call this idea of significance, grace-based significance is not a job. And it's not about a job. It's not based upon your income or the money in the bank. It's not based upon how popular you are or whether or not people accept you. In fact, I guarantee that when you walk in grace-based significance, people will misunderstand you. They will possibly label you as arrogant or prideful because you're walking in your significance, right? And that can give you a, um, a temptation to pull away from your significance because you don't want to appear in a way that would cause people to feel badly about you. Again, we're looking for acceptance. It's going the other way. And we stop walking in our significance because of the views of people who misunderstand that you're walking in some measure of confidence in God. Don't let that happen. We need you. We really do. We need you. Grace-based significance doesn't have a finish line, per se. It's not a place where you finally get, maybe when you die, okay? Maybe, maybe let's call that, but let's not get there before it's time, right? What I mean to say is that your life's purpose isn't a point of arrival, like you got that job or you got that husband or you had that baby or they finally let you on the worship team. That's not what I mean. That's, not, that's an end game goal, but it's not significance. That's not the thing, right? It's simply not defined by your station in life, your titles, how many people you see, uh, how many people see you doing your thing. Some of you know um, the author Bob Goff, and you know that I like this, this particular author. I heard him in a conference several um, years ago, and then I subsequently read uh, two of his books. The most recent, Everybody Always, I'll just little plug. If we read this book, and, and I'm like so encouraged by it, but if we read this book and apply it to our culture, we have the potential of changing the culture. Because it's very simple, just love people all the time. It, it really is. Bob is fun, he's lighthearted, he's cheerful, and he seems, uh, it seems easy for him to spread joy and love to the people around him. I, I just sort of amazed by, like, how do you have time for that? Like, there's just so much. Just, oh, why not? Spread love, spread love. Here's the thing. Bob's a lawyer, and he does really important lawyer things. Like he went to Uganda, he rescued a bunch of human trafficked victims, and then he sent the perpetrators, he got the perpetrators on trial and sent them to jail, right? That's, I mean, that's a big deal. He also went back to those prisoners and got them converted to Christ because he loves them. This guy's nuts. He's a lawyer, 
and he does lawyery things, but what makes his life significant isn't that he talks about that. It's that he really loves like Jesus loves people. He does, he does Jesus things. It's really cool. He's just a simple child of God, and that's what is communicated, a simple child of God who does Jesus things. In our congregation, Sharon Weber is this to me. She's a nurse, she's a mom, she's a grandma, she's a good friend. But she does Jesus things. And I, you know, I always tell her when I grow up, I want to be like you, Sharon. Because she just, just the simplicity of loving people without anything else. She fulfills that purpose. But is she, gonna is, is she done? No, she's going to love more tomorrow. I'll bet. I mean, I'm not putting anything on you, Sharon, but I'm guessing she will. <laughs> If you want to consider what is the God-ordained purpose of your life, one thing is clear to me. An individual walking in their grace-based significance will always reflect the yearning desire to love God and people more. And when I say more, I mean more ever-increasing. It's going to be more tomorrow than today. It'll be more next year than this year. You just can't get enough because it's ever-increasing. It's like a fountain, an unending fountain of love welling up inside of you, and you can't, you can't help but spill it out. Are you full? Yes, you are. That's why it's spilling out, right? It's just a pouring out, a pouring out. It's not a, it's not a martyr complex, well, I've got to love people. It is within you, and it can't help but come out. Grace means you don't burn out or you don't run out. Walk out your purpose, and you will get filled up and Again, I believe your purpose is going to be, one way or another, marked by loving God and loving people. As an example of a significant grace-filled life, let's take a look at Jesus. I think he's got a pretty significant life, don't you? I think he's in a good example. It's hard to measure how very significant his life is since he did save everybody uh, for all eternity. And... Uh, you know, that's a huge influence, but he didn't attain significance in the way people thought he would, right? He didn't come riding on a golden pony, flying through the air with a sword and lopping off the heads of the bad guys. That's what they expected. He came lowly, humble, in a manger, on a donkey, on a cross, in a tomb. That's how he came. And his life is marked by profound significance. Humility marks a significant life. To take a little bit closer look at this example of Jesus, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite um, sections uh, of Scripture, is this speaking about the, 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 the greatness of Jesus who comes and chooses to walk in the significance of his Father by laying it down. So let's begin here. If there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but he made himself of no reputation. He made him look, he wasn't significant outwardly. No reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and becoming found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name and that at that name, every knee, Jesus, every knee will bow. Those of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a significant life. But look, look what was his initial response. Look what he had to do. And then God his Father exalted him, okay? Jesus' significant life was marked by humble obedience to the point of death. And I'm just not sure how, it, how that TED Talk would go over. Be significant. Humble yourself, obey and die. How's that for a topic? Right? <laughs> but this is the way of Jesus. So often we think of significance in terms of what we do with our lives, our roles. I'm a mom. Our jobs. I'm a nurse. Our passions, desires, and hobbies. I'm a singer, a dancer, a painter, an artist. That's who I am. Makes sense. I do think the Lord puts those desires in us. And those desires play a role in, deter in determining how we live. But perhaps the purpose, your purpose on this planet, is beyond just a job, a talent, a skill, or desire. If you choose, if you can believe that, if you can let something go and believe that God will, in fact, fulfill his purpose in you, he's going to because he wants to. I promise you that. Let me try to illustrate uh, a little bit of this. I'm going to ask you some questions. What is this? Stop. <laughs> Trouble. It's a football, as it turns out, PJ. It's a football. You can tell because it's not... Who said it? OJ? <laughs> Jacob, you got PJ in trouble. Uh, <laughs> so a football is used to play football where? On a football field, yes. It's perfectly suited for that, isn't it? <laughs> how about um, how about this one? What's this one? Well, yes, it is a football. <laughs> it's also we also call it in America soccer ball. Where do you play this? Court. That's right. That's right. Got a couple more smaller ones. What's that? What's this one? Yeah. Got the Yankees on it. Yeah. Who said boo? Just kidding. <laughs> what's, this? what's this? That's a golf ball. Right. Oh, I got one more for you, for you camp people. Dodgeball. That's right. Yeah. So each of those balls, hold on. Oh, each of those balls are suited for what they do, right? So, but, but let's say um, I want to play, play baseball with this ball. Can I play baseball with this ball? Yes. Absolutely you can. It, it's going to be weird, but you can do it. You can do that. How about, um, let's see, can you play soccer with this one? Sure you could. Can you play volleyball with this one? That's going to be hard, isn't it? It's going to be hard to play volleyball with this one. Why? Because this is the book. This is the book. This is the, this is the ball 
that was made for volleyball, wasn't it? It's round and it's lightweight. It's not going to hurt you quite so much, right? It's perfectly suited for volleyball, isn't it? It was created for volleyball. It's clear. You should grow up and be a volleyball because it's clear, right? Well, unless, of course, you, you end up on a desert island with Tom Hanks. And, and then you have another purpose. And this is my point. This is a little bit of my point. Not my baby. This one accidentally showed up on me. The truth is, this is suited for volleyball, but there's a bigger purpose. There was a bigger purpose in Wilson's life, right? If we're looking at it just that way. And it had something to do with something deeper. Keeping somebody alive or sane or insane. I don't know how you look at that if he's talking to a volleyball. Uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, excuse me while I get this hair out of my mouth, um, what's the movie? Castaway. Watch the movie Castaway, and, and then you'll get the, the, ball ref, the volleyball reference. Now, this ball is clearly suited for, yep, it's round and it bounces. I'm not going to bounce it here because there are kids downstairs and it will scare them. Everybody knew that this basketball would be, grow up to be a basketball. It's so perfect for it's a perfect size. I can't palm it, but I'm sure some people can. And you can bounce it and you can throw it and it can go through a hoop that's just a little bit bigger than that. Sometimes it feels like it's smaller than that, but it's bigger than that. I'm going to call this ball John. I've known John a long time. He was suited for basketball. He was made for basketball. He loves basketball. He's really good at basketball. He eats, drinks, and sleeps basketball. Look at him, right? Of course. Everybody knows it. In fact, he's so suited for basketball that an area college offered to pay for his education completely if they would come and play for if he would come and play for them. Crazy, right? He's suited for basketball and everybody knows it. He's significant in basketball and everybody knows it. Here's the thing. John, as, as much as John loved basketball and loves basketball and suited for it, he'd made a decision. God, whatever you want, your passion is my passion. Your decision is my decision. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do that. Even though circumstantially it might look like God said you should go play basketball for this college, right? I mean, we could look at that as, oh, that's an open door. That's an open door. Clearly, you're tall. Clearly, you should be doing this. This is God's will. But because he had a relationship with God, he said, I just want to go where you want me to go. I want, you to do, I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to do what I want to do. If what I want to do is the same as what you want to do, I'm fine. I just want to do what you want to do. I was sitting next to him when this decision was kind of falling on his head. And he said, uh, God, I, I just got to know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And God said to him, can I have your basketball? Because I've got something better for you. And I could, he, I could see him struggling. I was sitting next to him in a youth conference, and he's running his fingers through his, what he had hair then, and he was running it through his hair. And he's like, oh, oh. And I'm like, what's going on? He goes, oh. Because giving up your dream isn't easy. It's not like, oh, yay, now I know what to do. It's like, oh, 
it feels like dying because it kind of is. You die to your dream, right? But God, what God, and he'd rather do what God asks him to do. You and I are, are get to benefit from that decision. If you don't know who I'm talking about, or talking about our associate pastor, John Lonaville, who's sitting here and still could play basketball if he wanted to, I'm sure. Likes basketball. He's gone from the month of March. <laughs> Jesus, at the Garden of Gethsemane, said, not my will, but yours be done. He sweated great drops of blood. His significance was about to be, the hallmark of his significance was about to come through crucifixion. He wasn't going to be on a stage singing his heart out. He was bleeding out. Because that was the mark of a surrendered life to his father's will. Now, I don't think that John's life is that way at this point. I think he has a great deal of joy. And we certainly have benefited from that. And, and the Lord is good about doing that. But it started with this surrender that's how you get to divine significance. That's how you get it to surface in your life is first of all through surrender, through a dying. It's risky to give up your life for a God you can't always hear or see, but it's far riskier to trust your own plan. You only have limited understanding about who you are or where you're headed. What do you know? I'm sorry, guys, I don't mean to offend your intelligence, but what do you know? God who made you knows your tomorrow. And he knows what's best. He's a good dad. You will not end up walking in your significance if you begin with believing in yourself. It won't happen. There have been many good and important people in the world, and I don't want to minimize those good and important people. Really, they're gifts to the world. But they're, what if there's something more or better? What if Christopher Columbus had something more going on? With a surrendered life, what if? And I'm not saying he didn't surrender. I don't know. I don't know his heart. But what if? Real significance is God's vision for your life separate from anyone else's expectations, including your own. Let me read that again. Real significance is God's vision for your life separate from anyone else's expectations, including yourself. John 12, 24 says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. If you want to see the unleashing of God's greatness inside you, surrender. Die to your agenda, your will, your understanding. And trust the one who knows you best and has the plan for your life. John gave up basketball for a, Bi for a Bible, and we here are benefiting from that. But to be clear, you can be a basketball player and have a significant God-ordained life. It just wasn't his plan for John. I am confident there are basketball stars walking in their significance in God. I'm sure of it. But it just wasn't for John. I don't care what you do for a living, what your education level is, or how you currently occupy yourself. It's not what you do that makes you significant. It is who is inside of you. And whether or not you let him live his life through you, surrendered. You're, to be clear, and this is a little bit of a sidestep, 
I was thinking about this and felt like the Lord dropped this into my heart when we were praying earlier uh, before the service. He's invited you to dance with him. So you're not a rag doll. Um, some of you have seen this Spider-Man mannequin stuff thing that's at camp this week. It's just a big old stuff doll that looks like Spider-Man, right? So imagine dancing with Spider-Man, right? His feet are dragging on the ground and all that. Here's the thing. Jesus invited you to dance with him. He is the lead, but he does want you to move your feet. But he leads. Does that make sense? One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. I guarantee you're going to step on his toes, but he's big. He can handle it. He's used to that. It's okay. As we learn to be in step, and if you're dancing with him and you say, but I want to go over here to this school, or I want to go over here and do this, he's going to say, who's leading this? Right, you are. You see, you're still a part of the beauty of the dance. It's not that you're a ragdoll. When you surrender, you're not a ragdoll. In fact, it would be easier to surrender if you were a ragdoll. It's hard when you've got a will, but you get to. It's worship to him when you do that. There's a, a quote, there's a movie that I like called The American President. And um, I don't know if you, you know that movie or not, but there's a scene in it that I really thought of before, just before the service began. And it's a scene where the president... His name is Alan Shepard. Alan? Shepard. My husband would know. He, um, he's the president. He's a widowed. He's widowed, okay? And he is invited for the first time since his wife passed two years before. He's invited a woman to Sydney, Alan Wade. He's invited a woman to dance at a state ball. So it's a big deal. And the two of them are dancing together in amongst uh, this group, this, I mean, just dressed to the max, long gowns and tuxedos and fine food and all that. And he, there, he asked her to dance, and they're dancing in the middle of, of this great crowd, and understand that nobody has ever seen her before. Well, they ha haven't seen her with him before. They've never seen him with another woman before. So I'm just going to read this quote uh, from the from the. The, the movie, it says, I, she says to him, I don't know how you do it. They're dancing together cheek to cheek, you know. And she whispers to him, I don't know how you do it. He says, it's Arthur Murray, six lessons at dancing. He was joking. She said, that's not what I meant, mean. 200 pairs of eyes are focused on you with two questions on their mind. Who is this girl and why is the president dancing with her? And President Andrew Shepard well, first of all, she, he says, well, first of all, the 200 pairs of eyes aren't focused on me. They're focused on you. And the answers are Sydney Ellen Wade because she said yes. When I read that this morning, I went, oh, yeah, because you say yes. He'll dance with you. And those 200 or more pairs of eyes are looking at you because you represent and you're following the lead of the master dancer of your life, the one who's written it out for you. We have the privilege to say yes, God, to that. In Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 26, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake 
you'll find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man gain in exchange for his soul? And then finally in Galatians 2.20, it's a scripture I've memorized from um, a, a, a while ago uh, when I was kind of dying, is a good way to put it, when I was kind of dying, choosing by my will to say not my will but yours be done. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I wrote this on a um, three-by-five card, put it up in my mirror, um, kept it in my Bible. Um, I'm sure it's in my phone right now. Because I have to remind my soul and my will, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If I no longer live, if Christ lives in me, I don't need to be insecure. I don't have to, have a, I don't have to shake and be nervous up here because I don't live. I'm crucified with Christ, and Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me, gave his life up for me. Dead people aren't insecure. If I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, then I don't have to be offended by others' strengths, gifts, talents, or accomplishments. I don't have to be offended if they don't notice my significance. Who cares? I'm dead, right? Dead people aren't easily offended. If I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, then I don't have to be the most popular. I don't have to compete for recognition or cry myself to sleep when I don't get it because, well, you know, you get the idea. Dead people don't need that, right? I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's going to make sure that the same life that raised him up from the dead will raise up my surrendered life and that he will work his life and glory through me to bring him glory but it is full of life, and it is full of joy, and it is full of peace, and it is full of hope. It is the fruit of the Spirit that comes welling up from within you when you choose to do that. If any of this has resonated with you, and I'm closing now, if you're tired of trying to find your purpose in life or wondering if maybe you aren't as important as those other people, if you're worried that maybe God didn't make you on purpose or you're the accident, or maybe you do know that, you, that God is in you and, and, and you, you just are looking for, God, I just want your will in my life. If you know that that is what you would like to do is to freshly surrender your life to God, I'm going to invite you just to stand. And of course, if you prefer to come forward and kneel at the altar, the altar is always open, always open. If sometimes that helps me to do the, to, to, to kind of reconsecrate myself to the will of the Father is if I kneel, if I raise my hands, whatever works for you, what's most important isn't the position. It is your heart and where your heart is before the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for um, the life you've given us. 
We do. We know it's a gift from you. Right now, Father, we want to really just want to give it back to you. Have your way. Write on it. Write your story through our lives. Write your story, Father, whatever it looks like. We're not going to tell you how to write this. We're not going to tell you what, what, how this needs to look. Father, shape us and mold us and prepare us every day for what you've called us to. And I know that today we'll walk in that, and then tomorrow we'll walk in a greater measure of that in next year and 10 years. Father God, we are yours. We are yours. We surrender to you, to your will. We thank you, Lord, um, for the marvelous mystery of grace. I pray that you would speak it to each of our hearts, what that means more and more, and then uh, cause us to, to really live that out, to be filled with it, and to overflow with the language of grace to the people around us. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. Um, I'm, I'm done here. I'm going to ask Ben, do you want your camp people going anywhere in particular? Or?